You're listening to the Wintrust Business Lunch on WGN. I'm John Williams. Pete Zimmerman's your producer. We always appreciate your dialing in. Scott Bauer joins us once in a while, CEO of Prosper Trading Academy. Scott, you know, you are a, tr- uh, you're not a, are you, are you a trader per se? You have been. I know you educate people now. Are you considered a, a trader? Yes. Yes, I am. Educator and trader. That is correct. And when we talk about the markets and how they're doing, it does seem like a handful of markets, or, or rather uh, stocks, equities, uh, are, are pushing or pulling the market up or down. But there does seem to be a little broader participation on the upside these days, doesn't there? There is now. And I think what you're seeing, John, is people that have been on the sidelines waiting for the pullback, waiting for the pullback. And, you know, we saw a little one a month ago or so, um, but now people don't want to miss it. You know, it's that euphoria of the market. It's a little bit of that FOMO, quite frankly, uh, that fear of missing out that people are, are experiencing right now. So you are seeing more money coming into the market than it has been in the last couple of years. There is a ton of money on the sidelines money market funds, um, and and there's a lot of, you know, let's call it not just short covering, but people just wanting to catch this rally, which the rally is surprising. There's no question about it. It is very, very surprising to me. But, you know, there's an old adage that, that the market can, can outlast any position that goes against you. So it's hard, not, it, it's hard to fight the trend. It really is. Do you think these stocks are fairly priced? Um, I, I don't think it's as bad as, you know, back in the, the dot-com bubble of the early on the floor where there were just the most ridiculous valuations in the world. I do think that some of the, the big guys, you know, when I talk about NVIDIA, Microsoft, uh, Alphabet, those are probably fairly priced, even though they, they have had just amazing amazing runs. They are probably fairly priced. Some of the other ones, you know, some of the hot AI stocks that people are just kind of wanting to right now, um, those, it's hard to put valuations on. They're probably overpriced. Again, however, it's sentiment. It's supply and demand in the marketplace. Um, but when we get to a point, John, and we're going to get there, whether it's a month, whatever it is, get to a point where you know, the, the algos, the algorithms out there, the high-frequency traders out there say enough is enough. Mm-hmm. We're a pretty quick drop. I'm not saying that the market is going to paint or anything like that, but some of these stocks that just have ridiculous gains, you're, you're going to see the vacuum effect kind of happen there. You notice that there's several stocks, dozens and dozens and dozens, that have hit 52-week highs. Expedia, Marriott, Costco, Progressive, Prudential, Eaton, General Electric, Uber, Microsoft, NVIDIA. I could go on. There's over 50 of them that have hit 52-week highs. Um, I'm encouraged by that, but I could see how there might be some profit-taking in the near future. It is encouraging, and, and what is most surprising to me is we're seeing this rally um, on the heels of the Fed standing pat now. Rates aren't going up. They're certainly not going up, but they're not coming down anytime soon either, as the market has expected. So there was a, a nice big run-up at the market rally, 
ahead of the last couple of Fed meetings in anticipation of the Fed saying, okay, not only is enough is enough, we're going to start cutting. And then the news came out that we didn't, you know, Powell and the Fed said, no, not, not so quick here. We had a one-day little reaction to the downside and then boom, explosion. And I think the reason why is because the economic data that comes out, which I think is far from mainstream, but the economic data that, that has come out has been very, very supportive of a strong economy, of no recession, of a soft landing. The jobs numbers have been good. But herein, John, lies the problem for me. You see that in these numbers, but then you go to Main Street, and I don't think things are so great. You don't think things are so great, meaning that prices are still too high? You're talking about inflation there, Scott? When we, when we see these inflation numbers coming down, which, which is great, it still means they're going up. They're just going up at a, at a <laughs> Well, but that's up. its job, too. I mean, I, uh, if, if inflation is 3%, I don't know, is it reasonable to ask for zero or minus one? <laughs> it's not going to happen, but sure, it's, it, it's reasonable. But, you know, we're, we're starting to see wage growth finally get the point where it's where inflation is or even exceeding a little bit. Mm-hmm. But the expansion that we have seen, you know, the, the, the jobs growth that has been so robust, all of a sudden for the last couple weeks, month or so, we're starting to see major, major layoffs at big corporations yeah. that just hired way too many people, you know, once we came out of the pandemic. So I think when you look at that, the economic data out there is not as rosy when you really dig down deep into it, and that's what's got me a little cautionary. Yeah, well, I understand that. I'm, I'm glad we took the time to make that point. Scott, you and I will visit another day. Thank you for joining us this day. Bree Fowler, senior writer at CNET.com. Welcome back, Bree. Hi, thanks for having me. you have any thoughts about the Super Bowl game, any uh, tech angles that you are interested in or covering not not so much um you know i'll definitely be watching and i'm one of those people that likes to watch the commercials as well just because of all the money that's been sunk into those speaking of which which celebrity has appeared in the most super bowl commercials since 2016 i just saw this stat Mm -hmm. for the last eight years so it's somebody you know and uh, you want a hint it's a female oh uh Hmm. And I'm guessing it's not Taylor Swift, even though she's so popular right now. But, uh, you know, I don't know. Yeah, you will know when you hear it. It's Serena. Oh, that, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Who else, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> except for Brie, uh, except for uh, Taylor Swift, of course. But Taylor will probably be the answer to that question in the near future. Um, let's talk about Meta. Um and AI, Facebook and Instagram users are going to start seeing what on their images? Uh, They're going to start seeing, hopefully, labels that tell them if content was AI-generated or not. Um, And and these things, you know, they'll start popping up in your your Facebook and your Instagram feeds, uh, ideally. Like a watermark or something? Yeah, um, just, uh, you know, a label disclosing that something was AI-generated. Um, Meta says it's working with industry partners on technical standards that are going to make it easier to identify these images yeah. um, and eventually, you know, video and audio, too. 
They can't keep pornography off there. How are they going to <laughs> know the difference and then tell everybody from all of the sources what's AI and what's real? You know, it, it's definitely going to be tough. And it's it's one of those things, though, too, that if people don't play by the rules, they could be, you know, in theory, tossed off the platforms, which, you know, is something that they would have to, that Meta would have to enforce. But, you know, you, you can't tell people, you know, that people aren't going to do something necessary. There, there's no way to get them to stop doing it if you don't tell them no, at least. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, sure, sure, sure. You know people are going to speed, but there is a speeding limit sign. And if we catch you, in theory, we can at least write you a ticket. But uh, if we're talking about the same thing, it's not just corporations uh, or political action committees or advertising agencies. It's anybody with a computer or an app on their phone now, right? So would, Yeah, for but, sure. But then that app would have to generate that? I mean, I wonder how that word gets out there. How does Facebook know or... Who, who's the gatekeeper? You know, there definitely are startup companies out there whose whole business model is to identify artificial intelligence images. And a lot of these, you know, the ones that have been bounced around a lot, you can Google it and find out that it, it's an AI image. I mean, we think about the, the Pope and the puffy coat kind of thing. Uh-huh. Like, that looks very real. But if you Google that, you'll find definitely a lot of sources telling you that that was AI. Yeah. Which kind of broke my heart because I wanted to think he was rocking that thing. It was gorgeous. <laughs> and I almost believed it, especially since there was a series on TV a few years ago where there was this rocking crazy Pope. But I digress. <laughs> uh, although, did you see any of the Taylor Swift AI-generated stuff? And I wonder what the penalties, other than kicking somebody off a platform, will be when some of this stuff gets a little more sinister. Yeah, I mean, right now it's just meta saying you know don't do this and it, it has to deal you know when you when you join those platforms you agree to a user agreement and certain kind of codes of behavior and you know obviously they can't enforce penalties um, aside from maybe suspending an account or kicking it off but you know we might see government regulation of these things too um People are talking about, you know, making sure that people disclose AI when it comes to election-related content. And even today, we had news come down about the FCC cracking down on AI robocalls. Is that the uh, election security that you're talking about, or is there something else going on there? Definitely uh, elections play a role. But, you know, when you talk about robocalls, it, it could be scammy. It could be Taylor Swift's voice telling you to buy something in a robocall. Or, you know, your kid's voice telling you that they've been kidnapped. Um, all of these things are out there and they hurt consumers. Um, and, you know, the government needs to get involved in, and regulate that kind of stuff. Did you see and did you have an opinion about Mark Zuckerberg being asked to turn around at that Senate hearing and apologize to the parents whose children suffered from some sort of bullying or died by suicide? What was your thought about those hearings? I mean, all congressional hearings have a certain element of theatrics in there, especially when, you know, things are so emotional and charged. Um, There's a lot of, uh, there's a song and dance uh, behind all of that. I mean, obviously, uh, social media and kids is a huge issue. Whether we actually see some action come out of these kinds of hearings remains to be seen. Yeah, it struck me as a lot of grandstanding, and maybe that's preliminary to something actually being done, but it was just a chance for 
members of Congress to yell at these people, and <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm, and I'm not entertained. Um, speaking of which, uh, talk about Fortnite for a second. Yeah, uh, Fortnite is super popular with kids and as a game developer, and Disney is paying $1.5 billion to buy a stake in its parent company, Epic Games. And it wants to work with that game developer to create games and entertainment that will just just the whole universe of content that will feature Disney, Pixar, Marvel, all of the Disney characters and IP out there. So, you know, we could be seeing a lot of Disney-related gaming content soon. Uh, Now that you mention it, I'm surprised we don't have that. We don't have that? That's not a, a kind of a lane for these games? And is Disney late to the the game, if you will? you know different um where they'll, they'll license their characters for games i mean i remember playing disney games when when i was a kid <laughs> on my little 8-bit nintendo or in the arcade like they've been around but um not to this kind of scale and you know epic games and fortnite are so huge uh for them to kind of join forces with disney is a very big deal Bree Fowler, senior writer at CNET.com. Let's uh, talk again next week, Bree. It's always a pleasure. Thanks a lot. Right now, let's talk about the retail sector. Matt Adams joins us, principal at Deloitte Consulting, specializing in that area. Welcome back, Matt. How are you today? Doing great, John. Thanks. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. And uh, it's interesting to me because when we talk about the economy uh, and spending, it does seem like people continue to be spending money. It's one of the reasons the economy stays strong. It also plays into our conversations about inflation. Um, Just talk to me about how the retail sector is doing right now. Uh, It's doing pretty well. To your point, consumers have persevered through um, some challenging economic times and inflation Uh, We actually at Deloitte have conducted a survey of more than 50 senior retail execs to understand their perspective on what they're seeing, their expectations on the market, on the industry, and and the changing consumer. And the big question on their minds is if that continued spending that we've seen is really sustainable. Um, 64% of them uh, cited inflation as a concern and and a reason that they think that consumers are going to spend less in the future. Yeah, right. Although they're pretty happy right now, right? Yes, yes. And particularly coming out of the holiday season, uh, it kind of defied expectations to a certain extent. And it's to, it's good to see consumers still exhibiting some consumer uh, enthusiasm. Uh, although some economists, and maybe not retail executives, sort of say, be careful what you ask for. I mean, uh, there's going to have to be a letdown, and there's consequences for this kind of spending that aren't all good, right? That's true. And and part of it is consumers are also accumulating some additional credit card debt um, beyond what we've seen in previous years. So that's a concern. And then to the point that I made a second ago, they're really concerned that that spending isn't going to be sustainable. And they're really looking at a shift to a focus on price over loyalty. Uh, 50% of those executives look expect customers to make that prioritized choice on price. And we're seeing it in terms of the retailers that are the winners in the last year. It's much, um, much more sales for discount retailers, mass and club, which really shows that, that, that people are really more price conscious um, particularly relative to the department stores or other organizations mm-hmm. that are offering kind of a one-size-fits-all without a differentiated 
customer experience. So, yeah, who are the winners and losers? Can you give me specifics? Like, so Target's doing well and Nordstrom is not? Is that what we're talking about? No, that's the gist of it. Yeah, it's it's retailers like Target, Walmart, uh, Costco, um, discount retailers like the value stores are, are relatively better off than they were certainly three years ago. They gained to a certain extent over the last three years through the pandemic and, and just haven't given back that share. Does that foretell lower prices then? I mean, will that does that mean inflation is going to continue to come down if it's we're talking about the retail point? Yeah, there, there's two ways that I'm seeing that retailers are going to address the issue. Uh, focus on price, uh, focus on managing costs to be competitive with those um, those winners in the market. And, and that will offer, we believe, some uh, price benefits to the consumer, and, and certainly the consumer is very focused on that. The other avenue is they're focused more on creating uh, brand loyalty and, and developing their loyalty programs, thinking about personalization. How can I deliver something that's more specific to what an individual consumer or household wants? Building trust to, for consumers to really value that personalization. And then also building on experiences, uh, really building the in-store experience, thinking about how they can make it more digital and, and create a really seamless experience uh, for shoppers. Can you give me an example of that? Yeah, there's there's a lot of examples that we're seeing in the, in a store in particular of digitized experiences where um, uh, retailers are exploring smart carts that make checkout easier. They're thinking about um, uh, frictionless, where you can even just walk out of stores like you'd see it uh, at an Amazon store. Um, looking to really just reduce the, the friction of the shopping experience. How yeah. can I make it a more pleasant experience? Get what I want, get in and out of the store quickly, capitalize on convenience. Where does self-checkout factor into that? Self-checkout is, is actually interesting. Um, there's, there's a positive and a negative. For example, if you're going and doing your big weekly grocery shop, self-checkout can be a real challenge, particularly if you have your kids with you. Um, that can be a challenging experience. Um, but on the other hand, uh, a lot of consumers choose self-checkout, particularly for the smaller purchases, to get in and out quickly and, and kind of control their own experience. So it's a balance. And retailers are really looking to invest in, in figuring out how they can give consumers what they want based on their, their situation in the particular moment. Yeah, I think people do want to get in and out and make it as frictionless as possible. But I think self-checkout is in and of itself a friction point. Maybe we're just on the steep side of the learning curve and years from now or the next generation won't see that as an intrusion. Why am I working for you, for instance? But I think it's a friction point right now. Yeah, we definitely do hear that. You're not alone in that uh, in that sentiment. We hear that from consumer panels uh, frequently. Um, and that's where retailers are really trying to figure out, to your point, how can I even make that experience more efficient and, and more effective to, again, just Take the take the worry and take the work out of the shopping experience. And by the way, we saw a statistic a couple of weeks ago: the percentage of young people who will just flat out take things at self checkout. Not sure if that's something you spend a lot of time looking at, but the amount of theft that that process generates is, to me, alarming. Yeah, it's definitely a concern, and um, it's another aspect of what I'd call the digitization of the store is, yeah. is figuring out what technology you can put in to <laughs> monitor that, but but do it in such a way that it doesn't um, it doesn't risk 
trust issues with the customer. It's still a good experience. You've still got a personal connection and a personal interaction, but using things like video monitoring to understand the risk of theft and and how that's being executed and and try to uh, reduce it. And sometimes it's not by choice. Sometimes it's a bona fide accident. Sometimes it's not. I know a lot of these thieves find it very frictionless (laughs) to just grab some (laughs) items that aren't supposed to be in their cart. Three and four customers, though, still feel concerned about rising prices, you all wrote. That's interesting, isn't it? Because we're talking about how robust the retail economy is, and yet folks (laughs) in the same breath say they're worried about high prices. Yeah, and retailers are saying the same thing. They're they're definitely concerned about the impact of continued fundamental costs and the the impact of inflation. The the flip side of that, though, is um, consumers have also been concerned that uh, retailers are increasing prices and taking advantage of the situation. So it really has become important for retailers to to think about how to build that trust, um, communicate effectively with consumers about where prices are increasing, and build a value proposition to reestablish that trust. We've got significant evidence that says that customers um, are more likely to buy again if they've got that trust in a retailer. So how do you do that? You build it through loyalty programs and and a good value proposition that makes them want to trust you and, and gives them something in return. Loyalty programs, meaning if I spend $100, you give me one, something like that? That or tying it to other organizations. So, for example, you'll see grocery stores who do cross-promotion with, with gas stations and give you yeah. uh, you know, $0.10 cents off a, a gallon of gas. And, and uh, because of an increase in spending on experiences that has also made the retail sector a little bit wary, uh, that shift of I'm going to spend my money with um, on travel, for example, are there opportunities to build loyalty programs that cross promote with travel organizations to to encourage consumers to both continue shopping with you and get something in on the other end of the deal in terms of the things they want for traveler experiences. I would have equated loyalty, though, at least in the past, to do I like that store? Do they wrap my gifts? Do they have an easy return policy? That was Marshall Fields. That may still be Nordstrom, not as much. I don't know where Macy's fits into that, but those big box, uh, if if you will, department stores, where are they um, as retail businesses right now? Yeah, they have struggled. Um, and part of it is, uh, you know, the, what made them great was a, a one-size-fits-all um, mass-market view of serving customers and wrapped in some of those services you just mentioned, um, and but we've seen over the last year them declining by 11 percent, which which makes them a fairly significant loser. And and the reality is that consumers are seeking more individualized experiences. Um, and and how they're doing that. So you you talk about some of those department stores, or for that matter, retail in general, is thinking about how can I use AI to create personalization, but without violating that trust. So they're they're thinking about services in a different regard um, using. Uh, advanced technology as a vehicle for delivering it. Mm. It's a conversation we'll have another day. That's intriguing. It's worrying, <laughs> but it's fascinating. And uh, I appreciate you joining us today, Matt. It's always nice to talk to you. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
Matt Adams is a principal at Deloitte Consulting. This is the Wintrust Business Lunch. Here's Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. There's some good news for Chicago-area bookworms. Barnes & Noble has announced plans to open four new locations this summer, including two in Chicago and two in the suburbs. The bookstore chain will open one of the Chicago locations at 1601 North Milwaukee in the former Walgreens building there. The other will be in the former Urban Outfitters location at 651 West Diversity in Lincoln Park. Barnes & Noble will open the other two locations at Village Square in Northbrook and at Prairie Market in Oswego. Deerfield-based Walgreens is making some changes in its C-suite. The biggest move is replacement of its U.S. Healthcare Division Executive Vice President. John Driscoll will move to an advisory role. Mary Langowski will take over the role. She's a healthcare technology veteran. Walgreens has been in turnaround mode since CEO Tim Wentworth took over. The company has been underperforming. Its stock price has dropped, and there have been several rounds of job cuts. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Okay, now the business of food with Steve Alexander. Thank you. I ran out of time yesterday when I was talking with the bee man, Ron Fisher, who has been a beekeeper in Illinois for more than 50 years. And in 1981, famed photographer Richard Avedon took his photo covered in bees. And then I got all this notoriety. Yeah, that photo shoot took about two days, and what happened after was a crazy few minutes. He'll tell us about that after I thank the Chevy Silverado and Chevy Drive Chicago. Chicago.com for sponsoring us today. There has never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox. Okay, it happened at a tomato farm in California. Ron Fisher, standing naked from the waist up, was smeared with queen bee pheromone, and thousands of bees landed on Ron's chest and arms and head, and... They started to form a mustache, and Avedon said, get rid of the mustache, we don't want a mustache. (laughs) The shoot went on over two days, and then it was time for Ron to fly back to Chicago. But didn't have a chance to go shower or anything, so I just put my shirt on and grabbed my suitcase. They dropped me off at the at the bus stop. Quite a few people standing around, and it was in a near a wooded area. And all at once, all these bees coming out of the woods, landing on my shirt, freaking all these people out. And so, so I told the bus driver, just make sure when I come to the door that you close it as soon as I get in. So I brushed them all off with my hand and then ran around the bus and threw a couple of bushes to distract the ones that were didn't want to leave. And uh, I got on the bus, and then nobody's on the bus, and then I explained to the passengers what, what had happened. Ron Fisher, the world's most famous beekeeper, and he is serious about bees, and he says you should be too because bees are needed for pollinating our food. Oh, absolutely. About uh, two-thirds of the, most of the food that we eat. And a buyer beware tip from Ron the Bee Man. He says if you're paying extra for organic honey made in the United States, don't. In the United States, you cannot grow organic honey because a bee flies up to two miles away from the hive. There isn't any place in the United States that's available to be organic. So most of the organic honey is coming from Brazil, and that's legitimate. And if you like honey on your pizza crust, tomorrow is National Pizza Day. I'm Steve Alexander, and that's the business of food on 720 WGN. Jennifer Morris is the executive vice president and chief marketing officer at Wintrust. Jennifer, this is John. You're on WGN. How are you? Hi, John. Great. Thanks so much for having me. So are you a little nervous? A a little nervous about the Super Bowl, but we're ready. Not just for the game, but for an ad that Wintrust is going to have in the Super Bowl. I've seen it. Is that going to run nationally, regionally, locally? How do those things work? Yeah, so actually it's an interesting story. We were in the midst of our 
planning for 2024 budgets and advertising, and we got a call from one of our media partners um, and had told us that at the last minute, another advertiser had dropped out of the Super Bowl, local buy, right, 30 seconds. And they had asked us if we wanted to participate and also package it with some other opportunities on local news. Um, so we, we really, all we did was we ran the marketing ROI model to make sure there was a good return, and the numbers were making sense. And it was really nice because it couldn't have been at a better time because we had just launched a campaign um, called Different Approach, Better Results that really showcases how Wintrust does things differently, right, and that the results show with our customers. So the, the kicker, though, was mu- you know, part of our cost analysis was that we were going to produce this entire commercial in-house, so no advertising agency, mm. no celebrities, and to make it a little more of a challenge, we had less than six weeks to produce this. And yeah. mind you, that was during the holidays because we were going to present to the board in late January. So, again, a, a different approach compared to most Super Bowl commercials. So, uh, and Wintrust is, are you guys aren't coast to coast, are you? Some of our products are, but our banking and our retail operations and our mortgage, while it's national, we have a really great presence here in Chicago. We have wealth um, and commercial services, but we're primarily in Chicago, Milwaukee, and Indiana. And and back to my original question, though, so I don't know how those things work. Will that run regionally, locally, or will they see that in California then? They will not. They will see it in only those markets. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. I mean, if you can... Uh, don't pay for people you don't need or might not naturally think of you. Uh, I've seen the ad, and I'm surprised that you guys did that in-house because it looks like something you would have farmed out to one of the big agencies. That's a compliment, by the way. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're really proud of it. The team, you know, the the lead on the project was actually our head of creative, and his background is, um, you know, he studied improv and, and writing, creative writing, and this is his second Super Bowl commercial. So he corralled the team, and, and quite frankly, it was a real nice effort across the entire marketing team. Um, so thank you. We're really proud of it. And, and I think the other nice thing was that the team was so excited to do it that there were no complaints when this happened, you know, at night or on the weekends or during the holidays. Um, and I think that's a reflection of the culture here and the DNA within Windrust as well. I got just a couple of minutes left, and maybe we shouldn't talk too much about the ad per se, and that I know you want people to experience it fresh, but can you just kind of give us the overview? What What's the thrust of this then? What's it yeah, look like? The, yeah, needless to say, it's a, a funny ad, that takes aim, and I'll say gentle aim, at some of our big bank competitors. Um, you know, I'll give you a little teaser. One scene involves a call center experience at another bank that I'm, mo- I'm sure most people can relate to. And we have a character who is anything but helpful to a bank customer. So that's a little snippet. There's more within the ad, though. I will say that, um, not careful, John. It reminds me a little bit of the Mayhem character from Allstate, which I think is a really good campaign and a really good character. But you sort of uh, relate to those experiences, and you're hoping that somebody will help you out. Is that a fair characterization? That is an absolutely fair characterization. And I think, again, to hammer home, we just have a different approach with how we work with our customers. It's still the community bank feel. Um, but we have all the services and offerings and technologies of a big bank. So, you know, that's that's what makes this whole campaign really unique is that the Super Bowl ad was just a part of a larger campaign that we're trying to get the message out, you know, there in our markets that when you bank with us, you bank differently and it matters where you bank. 
There's a little kicker, a little rim shot at the end of the ad, too, which is smart. Um, it, so then how do you determine the ROI? Like, how do you know you get your money's worth? Are you expecting the phone to ring on Monday? How does that work? We're, we're expecting the phone to ring, but we're also going to be driving people within the ad to a landing page using a QR code. Um, and oh, yeah. so it will, you know, we'll promote it on social media, and you'll be able to see it. But there's even some more um, additional footage that we're going to continue on in a campaign that's going to last three to four months. Oh, I think this thing's so, got legs. This, this this bit can go as long as you want it. It's it's primed for that. We can relate to this. Uh, Jennifer, do you know when it's going to run? What quarter? It's going to run at the end of the third quarter in most markets. We will have a posting on our social media that talks about some of, you know, Milwaukee and what have you, and, and a, a little area within Naples that we got where we do have a small banking presence there as well. I'll put down my dip in the third quarter, Jennifer. This sounds like fun. Thank you so much. We're really excited, and we hope everybody appreciates it and recognizes that Wintrust is different. Jennifer Morris is the Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Wintrust. <laughs> 